Welcome to Replacement Level Morality. My name is Joseph. My name's Andrew. I am proud to report to you on the balance sheet of Replacement Level Morality that we have no issues with hold to maturity bonds. We have no uh, uh, exposure to the increase in, in interest rates. We will not be going if to FDIC receivership around here, sir. Mostly because we have no money in the first place. Yes, that's good. <laughs> can't lose what you never had. Uh, in, in Settlers of Catan, I usually call this being robber-proof when you have no resources. It's, you know, there there is a, there's a certain benefit to not being a target. <laughs> Get to develop yourself in peace. Yeah. Um, so I thought this would be interesting to talk about, partially because it's just the news of the day that... You know, there's there may or may not be cascading bank failures. So it's, that seems seems important. This is one of the circumstances where we're recording this on. We we try to record close to when we publish these days. So we're recording this on a Monday evening. This will be up by Thursday morning, and I'm curious to see exactly how our takes age between now and then. Uh, but yeah, the 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 news of the day, probably the news of the week. I'd imagine the news of the of the next few weeks is going to be the sudden collapse of Silicon Valley bank. Primarily there are other banks that have failed and we can talk about those as well. Um, but that is the big one and the actions that were taken this prior weekend. So 10th, 11th and 12th of March to work around this bank failure in a fashion that provided the, the most amount of, Assurance to the economy at large uh, without perhaps um, with more or less bailout e um, actions, depending on how you interpret them, which is I imagine what we'll talk most about. Yeah, this is actually we've been talking about this at a minimum because we've been kind of saving the ammo for this conversation. But I think we right now we kind of come down on different sides. So it'll be interesting to see if if we converge a little bit. But uh for which something that is very unusual on this podcast i agree with jd vance and you disagree with jd vance that is correct yes so i my 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 boy from cincinnati he's uh he's he's not where i am on this in fact uh i think the most of the right wing takes on on this are completely wrong uh, i think that i think it's i think a lot of of folks political positioning is overriding their logic sensors in ways that do not make sense to me. So why don't you step through the facts a little bit? Cause I think, I think you've been following them a little bit closer than I have and I've been leaning on my priors. So let's, let's get sure. some facts. Well, let's just talk about what happened first before yep. we, we get into intervention. Three banks failed over the last few days. Uh, one of them was named Silver Lake Capital, which was, essentially a micro version of Silicon Valley Bank. Silicon Valley Bank, so what I'm about to describe about SVB applies to them. There's a third bank, Signature, that failed for essentially entirely different reasons, and that I have not unpacked at the length that I think I would prefer to. So I will limit my more detailed comments to what happened with SBV since I have read a lot about that. SBV was a regional bank 
had about 200 billion amount in uh, total customer deposits. Uh, it was notable for being the home bank of a number of startups to mid-tier tech firms, as well as their personal bankers for you know the executives and investors. A lot of venture capital firms fenced their deals to them, and so they catered to that environment. Uh, notably, and I think importantly, the distress that SBV went through has nothing to do with their association with VCs, startups, or tech firms in general. This was not an issue that came from loans not being repaid. It does not come from uh, an underlying asset becoming worthless, you know, like a, like bonds that they invested in suddenly going to zero. Um, this not zero, but no, it is not, not even bonds close. losing value. I'm, but the, I think it's a very important difference that unlike in 2008, the underlying soundness of what the bank was invested in was not at issue at all. The, the, the insured bonds that they were invested in are not failing. They're just simply worthless in the market as a consequence of interest rate changes, which we will arrive at here in a moment. Um, but their, their, their actual business activities are not an issue. Their customer base is part of the problem, but for social contagion risks and not because it, it represented a, uh, an, a, a issue with their operations. Uh, they had this high net worth clientele and business customers that represented a large part of their base. What Silicon Valley Bank did in late 2000 was something that it was on the minds of a lot of investment banks. And that is, what do I do with all of my excess cash and a lot of money on hand? Like in a good bank, they have to find a place to put it, generates a return so that they can satisfy their, not only their cash flow requirements, but also make enough money so that they can pay their certificates of deposit and rates on savings accounts and, and everything else. And like any good bank, they invested that money very conservatively. That's what you're supposed to do. What they did is they said, hey, let's buy a whole bunch of hold to maturity, federally insured mortgage backed securities. You only get a point and a half. Not a great yield, obviously, but no risk. And it gives us what we need in terms of our expected cash flow, looking back at patterns and seeing how much money's coming in and out at what times. And you know, we can we can proceed from here. And if economic conditions improve or change, you know, we'll we'll we can obviously move out of this investment after the the maturity period is over. That that in and of itself was normal. What was not normal was that Silicon Valley Bank chose not to take any actions in the market as a insurance policy against their investment position. So any good risk manager would have said at the bank, well, you know, this is all safe. Like this bond isn't going to default. It's not going to go to zero. Um, it's insured. That's why the rate's low. But, you know, there's the possibility that interest rates overall get hiked. You know, it's late 2020. We don't really know what's going to happen as the pandemic starts to loosen, as this whole vaccine thing happens. 
why don't we go into the market and use the futures market to try and hedge against the possibility of an interest rate increase that would lower the market price of the bonds? That's what you would do. And, and essentially, you're taking a piece of your, your profit off the deal that you've just made in order to protect, protect your downside risk. This is this is very common. Like this is why a lot of those obscure, weird financial derivatives exist. Is because the the people who own a particular, say, a bond or a stock, aren't necessarily the people best suited to bear all of the risk. So you can, in effect, sell the risk to someone else who stands to do better than you on the average case. But you guarantee that you you do at least okay, which is important if you're a bank and ha- could have a customer show up and say, "Hey, I need my money back." Yeah, banks aren't supposed to be major profit centers. It's why like investment banks get a lot of their money off of fees for processing transactions and products, not from direct investing. They they're not permitted to be risky. So the actual trade here, by the way, was not risky. It was their lack of foresight in protecting against interest rate risk that was risky. And their choice not to do so was based on this calculation. Well, these are holding maturity bonds. Whatever, if interest rates go up, it's only a paper loss. It will never be a real loss, was their take. Was, yeah, okay, let's say interest rates go up. So? In 10 years, the bonds are over. I get the full par value back. I will not have actually lost money. So who cares as long as people don't suddenly see this paper loss on our books and decide to create a bank run by asking for too much in deposits that force us to book those losses. And their assumption for some reason was, Oh, we have a much more sophisticated customer base. They, you know, we have you know people with really high value accounts here. Uh, they're not going to to fall victim to that. We'll be able to clearly explain if this was to, to pass that we've got these are just paper losses. They're not real losses as long as there's not a bank run. We'll just allow them the schloff off as soon as the bonds come to maturity. You know, we just won't sell them in the open market and take the loss. It's all you have to do. Well, guess what? Guess what, Andrew? <laughs> uh, turns out economics applies even if your customers are all smart. And also, because you have a whole bunch of smart customers who are all on social media together and they have just a small group of people who can suddenly ask for billions upon billions of dollars, all of them literally, I am not joking, got into a Slack chat together, decided that they all had to take their money out at the same time because they thought there was risk to the bank, which is what precipitated the actual bank failure. It's the classic. So- so the, the the very thing they were counting on to save them is the very thing that caused them to fail. Because if they had like a normal customer base, this probably never happens. And you're telling me that Silicon Valley Bank failed to George Bailey them into keeping their deposits there? <laughs> Turns out Silicon Valley types are a little resistant to the it's a wonderful life reasoning. I'm sorry to say. They are more... Potter-esque. <laughs> they are <laughs> Bailey-esque. Uh, they, in fact, I, I did see someone pulling a straight uh, uh, Potter move at, you know, offering to buy like SBV deposits. It's like 70 cents on the dollar over the weekend or something like that. 
which oh, was just amazing. absurd. Anyone who did that was a fucking fool. Uh, because I always so those are the facts. Bank collapses, goes into receivership, and my assumption over the weekend was you're going to see a brokered sale, which I felt like was the worst possible solution, but also the most likely. And I assumed a brokered sale would happen because you've got all these people who hold equity in in SBV who are going to want something back. And the Fed is going to intervene. Treasury Department's going to intervene to to make sure those people don't get completely hosed. Broker some sale to a top four bank. Probably put a bunch of no interest money on the table to finance the deal. You know, and, and life would go on. And to my great enjoyment and surprise... Uh, that is not what happened. They actually are just letting the bank fail. And all of the equity holders are completely wiped out. All the executives with their stock options worthless. <laughs> and uh, everyone loses their jobs. This is this is amazing. This is such an improvement over 2008 already. I mean, yes, but no. So... So this is where we get to our disagreement, right? I am I understand that the owners are wiped out. I don't know that that was necessary. Like, as you say, the underlying it, it is a paper loss. The assets are worth something, just not what they paid for them. My question is, why did we bail out the depositors? We always, uh, uh, we always uh, bail wanna, depositors, to be I clear. I want to clarify. There is some nuance around the word bailout and whether it applies here or not. This is a real question because, like you said, the equi- the owners of the bank are wiped out. It's the people who deposited money into it. The FDIC insures deposits up to $250,000. It in- insures normal person checking accounts and savings accounts. It does not insure businesses Business. yeah. or the, the very, very rich people who keep more than 250. Nobody does that. Um, not just like a checking account. You'd be surprised. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you gotta like park that somewhere. I mean, right? a lot of people do, but a lot of people just don't because they have so much. So you say we always, and that's where I'm like, yes, this is too much like 2008 in the, in the sense that the depositors are getting bailed out for no reason. That it's not no are, reason. To these be clear. are not. These are not us. These are not random individuals. These are people, by definition, who have more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars in a checking or savings account, or are a business with like lawyers and finance analysts and like people who can do this. People who have the sophistication to make sure that the bank that they are loaning their money to. Is solvent is is it it was solvent is stable is shepherding their money well which it wasn't first and foremost since the Great Depression with exactly one exception every single bank failure has been had all of their uninsured deposits fully covered every single one the only example of one that is not is IndyMac from two thousand eight which was so up its own asshole that they just actually put it in receivership. It was also very small and, um, you know, sold, uh, sold off its assets and, and prorated their reimbursement to everybody, everyone else, including Washington mutual, which was 
even bigger than Silicon Valley Bank. And Silicon of, Valley Bank's not that big. I've not heard of it before this weekend. All all of the all of the uninsured deposits were fully backed by the FDIC. So th- this this is the norm to to start. Now you may still disagree, but this is not an exception. This is what they usually do. And this is why. And I think this is the context a lot of people are missing. What they did is they sat down, they looked at the market value of all of the assets, because they're because they're very smartly destroying this company. They're saying, you have failed. You're in receivership. We own you now, which means we're taking you apart for, for parts. We're going to sell the parts off, and that's how we're going to settle your, your issues, which is what I did not expect them to do. I expect them to do the stupid brokered sales so that equity would actually get something. They're like, no, fuck that. We're taking all the equity. What that permits them to do is not only are they going to sell the actual assets held by the bank, but there's three different satellite parts of satellite uh, of Silicon Valley Bank that aren't the actual bank part of it, that they're going to be able to sell to other financial institutions. They're going to take all of that money. They're going to take all of the loans because those are going to get bought by other financial institutions and they're going to get all of that money. Then they're going to actually sell the assets and they're going to get all that money. And they sat down and they said, when we do all of that, are we going to be able to cover all the deposits? And they said, yes, very easily. In fact, we're going to make money. And it's not, that's why they end up covering deposits like this because they do the math up front they say the only thing that is going to happen is it's going to take time to unwind all these assets, but we know that even the worst case scenario, when we sell them, it will be more than enough to cover everything. So they just skip ahead to the part where everyone's covered and then do all the transactions over the next six months to cover the expense and refill the insurance uh, uh, fund uh, to cover what happened. And I think that's what people don't understand. This isn't actually going to cost any money. When they sell this place for parts, it's going to profit the FDIC. There'll be more money in that that insurance deposit account than when they started. <laughs> then why wipe out equity? Like, why why not do the brokered sale? Be- because like- because this means it's not a fucking bailout. This means. This bank failed. It made a terrible error in judgment. It failed in its obligations. It's in federal receivership. And the penalty that's going to be paid is if you're an equity holder, you get fucking nothing. And we're using that to make sure that all of your depositors are covered. Why do depositors rank higher than equity? And not not in a like in an absolute sense, but in a Equity gets nothing. You own nothing. Like, so it feels almost confiscatory to just say, all right, we own you and therefore we're selling you for parts and paying other people. Like, isn't that just taking your cust- You're paying the customers back what they have put on. So banks can't go bankrupt in the United States. They, they don't. That's just part of the rules. This is, this is the world you decided to enter into when you became a bank. There are these rules. And when you can't satisfy the requests for your customer's money, that is when you fail. That has just been the rule since the Great Depression. So that none of, I mean, you, you, if you want to say that rule is bad and we should rewrite 100 years of financial law, I, 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 we, can move that, we can move our discussion in that direction. But that's been been the law as long as our grandparents have been alive. And the the customers that have their money on deposit, because the lesson from the Great Depression was they have to be paramount. 
because they're counting on this financial system to operate. Like Roku has a half, right? Make payroll, pay their rent, pay their suppliers, pay their contractors. That's what's there for. They're not doing anything with the money. It's not, they're not endangering any risk. They're literally just transacting through this bank and paying the, the minor fees necessary to do so and engaging in their financial services. I guess that's where I get off the train is because you say they're not taking it off the risk. They loaned their money to a financial institution. I know we're, we're like convinced that demand deposit accounts are cash equivalents, but it's not. You're, you loaned it to someone else who loaned it to someone else. And as long as we bail – like there's a threshold. I'm not, I'm not going the total ANCAP FDIC shouldn't exist. But for companies, companies can do due diligence about who they loan their money to. And they should, and they should have incentives to do that. Even if the loan, in quotes, is just a demand deposit account. I mean, you're basically describing why the Great Depression happened. And they're just not interested in that happening again. That's why these rules exist. No, the Great Depression happened because it was average people. No, it, who, it, it, it exists. It runs on banks. It, it, the Great Depression happened. Because not only did you have bank failures, you had zero credit availability because no one wanted to take any risk whatsoever. And what they've decided was that is never worth it. The, the, the economic paralysis that comes as a consequence of that is never worth the, 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 the cost. So don't do that. Instead of saying, Roku, you have to ninja all of your accounts so that you have the least amount of exposure, or you just have to do business with one of the top four because they're the only ones that are large enough that can uh, have uh, the the capacity to meet your cash demands, uh, or that's it. You want Roku to be able to do business with a Silicon Valley bank. You want that. You want that to be a viable option because if not, they're just going to go to J.P. Morgan. They're just going to go to uh, basically one of the top four New York banks and everyone just does their business there because they're the only safe places to go. They can do business with this. They can and would do business with a Silicon Valley type. They would just do a little due diligence first to be like, hey, are you hedging bets when you may, when you put all of your assets into hold the maturity bonds? They would make sure that they're doing things right. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this happened in Silicon Valley with the attitude of move fast and break things instead of in New York where they know, like a New York knows how to do derivatives. They'll make sure that all of their offsets are offset and all of their hedges are hedged. That They keep that real nice and tidy. I mean, I certainly agree that uh, Silicon Valley Bank deserved to fail and all the equity holders deserve to have nothing and all the executives deserve to have no worthless stock options and everyone deserves to lose their jobs for exactly what you just described. But I think that inviting like mass corporate failure and hundreds of thousands of layoffs across an entire economic sector uh, for the sake of feeling good about putting economic consequences on where people bank is fucking insane. It just is like, that is not ever going to be worth it. You've punished people for this. There's definitely a lot of people who just lost a shit ton of money. They will never see it again. And that is good. And I'm glad that consequence exists. There's more consequences than we got during the entire economic crisis just in one bank. Good job, 10 out of 10. But 
yeah, no, I'm not interested in forcing Roku to go bankrupt because they made a decision about where they wanted to do their banking that, you know, because nobody was keeping an eagle eye on the bank's balance sheet about where they're investing their bonds, that suddenly the bank, the company just goes bankrupt because all their money just vanishes. Especially when you know that once you're done selling that bank for parts, they're not actually going to be out any money at all. And that's, I think, the critical part. Like, the punishing this bank for fucking up makes everyone whole. What's the problem? The problem is that depositors should be keeping an eye on who they hand their money to. If you had that incentive set up in the first place, I understand we weren't there and like you laid out the history very well. But if you, if there wasn't this precedent that you can just ignore the place where all of your money sits and trust that the FDIC will bail you out with their fractions of, what it would actually cost to bail out if there were actually Great Depression style bank runs. That's the problem is you don't have people being hawks about their banks. And I understand that that, probably shouldn't be, to be honest. I don't think that's like something that you really people should be thinking about that risk. I think people, it's perfectly. I think it's people, perfectly fine. You and me should not. I, you don't but even think companies should. Hundreds I, of thousand dollars in care can pay someone to make sure that that's not being completely screwed with. I don't want. I think you're overreading the example of the Great Depression. It was nobody lent in the Great Depression because monetary policy was so tight that it was basically illegal. People will still lend money in the current era. It's just too profitable not to. What I am saying is that it is right and good for normal people and companies and rich people alike to be able to rest assured that when you go to a chartered bank and have your money there as a normal customer, that the federal government has that fully insured in, in, in fact. And it is the bank and their equity holders and their, and their rich ass executives who stand to lose everything if the bank doesn't have its shit together and makes terrible decisions. But you, the customer, you don't bear that risk. I think that's actually a perfectly fine relationship. The bank has to make the right decisions so that they can profit and they can generate the the, the economic gains that they're expecting to without, as you said, like getting too loosey-goosey, making bad decisions, finding themselves oopsie-daisying into receivership. I don't think that Roku should worry about having to go magically bankrupt as a consequence of their bank failing. I think that's stupid. Roku should have diversified who they lended it to. You lent it to, you lent your you, money. You, you call you, it lending. It's not, no one conceives of this relationship as lending, Andrew. No one. Because of the precedent that's been set that you so eloquently described. I, that's the problem. Is it is lending? You, you're not a giving problem. your money to somebody else. <laughs> it's not a and problem. That they trust it. They, they take good care of it. Yeah, a hundred years. hundred years after the Great Depression, they don't see it as lending. Yes, true. Guess what? They probably shouldn't. The fact that the United States has a fully insured banking system that prevents anyone from losing money, but punishes equity holders of the private banks if they fuck up, so they can make them whole, is a great system. I love it. They're not fully insured. It's a fiction. No, it's not. It obviously isn't. We're seeing it work in real time. Well, we're seeing it work because you know the FDIC can cover like two percent of the deposits that they insure. It's it ha- like, and it, they're covering it with the assets from Silicon Valley Bank, so it's a little different. But 
it is kind of all just hope that they don't all go bankrupt at the same time, which we've gotten good enough in monetary policy that that won't happen. But I mean, if the banks all go bankrupt at the same time, we're all fucked anyway. <laughs> like, yeah, who cares, exactly. right? Like, we're so fucked at that point. Like, all right. <laughs> Smoke them if you got them. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're talking about having a system that can cover the marginal issues, and it's working out fine. Yes. It, the, 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 they're going to sell SBV off for parts and and use the, the cash from the parts sales to make sure that any loss incurred from selling all of these securities uh, is covered. Seems good. I do not see the problem here. And I think JD Vance and all these like fire breathing right wing libertarian types, you included who think somehow we should just be frog marching all of these companies into, into bankruptcy and everybody into personal financial oblivion as a consequence of that. They had their checking account in the wrong fucking place. I, I'm a, I'm a, I love markets. I love free enterprise. But um, if the United States has one thing that going for it, that the rest of the globe is the envy of the rest of the globe, it's our financial system. It's that you can go into the, a bank in the United States and put your money and deposit in one of those banks and rest assured that you're going to be able to access those funds globally and that there is a well-manicured uh, experienced uh, system of laws and regulations that will ensure you will retain access to that money absent like serious court orders, you know, that, that impinge upon, on your assets. Um, or the government decides that you may or may not have uh, been involved with drug trafficking and just takes everything you own. That could also happen. That's true. Don't do drugs. That's really the, the lesson of the United States is we have a free and open financial system, except if you do drugs. Or are falsely accused of doing drugs. We or just happen to be traveling. That's what you're cash. talking about, Andrew. No one ever gets falsely accused. <laughs> and those are their assets seized and really weird uh, federal proceedings. Uh, That's not true at all. Yeah. Also, also don't just don't carry bags of cash places. Local cops will just find a way to take it from you. This is yes, but also something that continuously staggers me is that like 40% of Americans don't have a bank account. Like adults, like 40%. It's, 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 it might not be that big, but it's always surprising to me because when I worked at a bank, they were always talking about like there's just a staggering amount of people that are either unbanked or underbanked. It like people just have cash. Like you go to a trailer park, a lot of them just they they deal in cash. It's a whole other universe. I definitely know some folks that are are cash people. I'll say that, but I would be I would have I would be surprised if the number was forty percent. Just. Seems wild as someone who's had a bank account since I was 13. Yeah, I couldn't you know. believe it. Yeah, you know, like, okay. I guess there's some people like that. By the way, the bank you work used to work for is the bank I, I've had my bank accounts with since I was 13. Loyalty in your banking relationships. It's a rare thing, I think. Oh, geez. That segment's going to be bad. Uh, 6% of people don't have a bank account. That's a problem. I just completely misremembered. It is higher than I expected, but six percent is more like what I would expect. Yeah, you know that's yeah. that's more like what I would think actually. I, I remember being like staggered with how high it was. I bet it was like some survey that was real sketchy and 
for industry reasons. Yeah. It was like, here's how we can make this the right answer that we want with some weird definitional stuff for tricking people. Like, yeah, they play those games. I feel silly. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel silly about wanting everyone to go bankrupt in Silicon Valley? Just businesses. Oh, okay. (laughs) I couldn't convince you, huh? I mean, I do think it was this was the right policy decision. I, I'm not one to praise the Biden administration for anything, obviously, but I don't think I think if I were uh, was dictator of America, I would make the exact same choices they just did. Make the depositors whole, do it by selling the equity for parts, done and done. Cleanest way out of the problem without using taxpayer funds. You don't cause you don't cause layoffs. You don't cause a disruption in your most economically dynamic industries. Uh, you're you're just punishing the people who who really messed up, and and, and rightfully so. Feels like a fairly negotiated solution would involve less hundred zero. It should be primarily equity that gets wiped out. But not just you got bank run on despite being fundamentally solvent. And now you get literal zero and your customers who did the running get literally everything. I if it wasn't that they had this exposure because of their own stupidity, I think I could get behind that argument. But we're here because they chose not to at all protect their downside risk. I'm on interest rates, which is just bizarre to me. I don't, who the fuck worked in risk in this place? That's what I want to know. Like who the fuck did not say, we're going to do nothing. <laughs> like nothing. Seriously. Zero. <laughs> well, that's the, that's why I keep bringing up New York is because like that institutional knowledge of that old guy who's been there for a million years is like, okay, it's just something on a checklist for him. Like, okay, make sure this is done. Make sure this is done. I, I, this is this is the thing that I do. You don't even you don't need a, a bunch of institutional knowledge. You don't need to be a special mind to like. You can be you and me, Andrew. You sure, and me, and that, you and me in that room would have immediately said, "Well, that sounds fine." But what 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 do you want to get into to protect your yourself if interest rates go up? We're about to you know if the economy opens up, we could have a, a huge inflationary spike. Fed's going to want to do something about that. You're holding these bonds for ten years. You have no idea what rates are going to do over the next five, let alone 10, you got to, got to protect yourself somehow. What do you want to do in the derivatives market? And that, that I don't know how no one said that. (laughs) You're thinking of the one thing you're not thinking of a non-zero failure rate and like a hundred things that have to happen for all of these bonds to be handled correctly. And you get your safe, stable return. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. It's not, they didn't do one thing. There was one thing among hundreds that they didn't do. That's where the institutional knowledge of make sure that everything happens by the book and you get the right derivatives matters. But they, they, but they knew when they booked this deal. Like there was a strategy meeting where they no one thought of this first. So there was a one thing moment, I think. And second, when they started booking the paper losses as the interest rates started to go up, like. I'm talking like a year ago, you know, like March of 21, July of, of, of 21. So two years ago, 18 months ago, it was clear. It should have been clear to them. If it wasn't clear when they made the deals, like we got to get into something now. Right. 
like it's time like they they, they gotta file those 10 cues be like we got a problem boys <laughs> let's let's get on this <laughs> i don't get how that doesn't happen sure uh, this might have to go at the beginning of the episode at some point, but I'm sure there are listeners that don't know why interest rates going up makes bond values go down. And so would you, as the MBA holder among us, explain that, please? I'd be happy to. So if you're if you've purchased a bond, uh, you are you have a, a par value for that bond. So the, so the the face value. It's probably the best way of putting that. Let's say it's $100,000. And this bond has a coupon payment that's going to make to you every six months to reflect an annual rate of return. So on the bonds that Silicon Valley Bank purchased, that rate of return was 1.5%. So if they, you know, they theoretically purchased a $100,000 bond at that rate, uh, they're going to receive over the course of the year $1,500 in coupon payments probably $750 in June and $750 in December. And this is, as we were alluding to, a fine, safe investment vehicle to be in when you're a bank, particularly because the rate is so low because it's insured. There's no there's no worry that the bond underlying bond will become worthless and you won't receive your par value back at the end of the bond period, which was 10 years. So you would get 10 years of this repeated payment and then you'd get your $100,000 back. That's how bonds work. So the risk in terms of the pricing risk on a bond is related to the rate. So if I'm getting a 1.5% return from this bond, that return is attractive if interest rates are zero, which they were at the time that they made the deal because that rate is better than the risk-free rate as we like to to call it and, and which is you know i T-bills. guess with a 30-day t-bill which is was probably like a couple tenths of a percent at the time it was like nothing so i was like well i can do that or i can buy 10-year hold to maturity which means you you have to hold on to the bond if you sell them you lose your i think a proportion of your uh, coupon payments um and that's way better than Point two in the risk-free rate. So we're doing better, essentially no risk. Really what we're doing is accepting buying the bonds for 10 years, locking in our capital. That's the risk because what will happen is if the interest rate goes up, if the risk, if the Fed rate goes to one, two, three, four 4%, suddenly I can't sell this bond in the market for a hundred thousand dollars. I can sell it for 90,000 or 85,000 or 80,000, the price of the bond in the market will start going down because that 1.5% return actually isn't all that attractive anymore because now you can go buy a 30-year treasury bond and get five fucking percent, which was something that was going on three days ago. Somebody somebody else with $100,000 isn't going to buy your bond because they'll buy something else. So if you did want to sell it, you couldn't get as much for it. So yeah, you have to knock less. the price. You have to knock the price down. Now, it's worth less in the market, which is where we're talking about booking your paper losses. Because technically, yeah, if you went into the market and sold it, you wouldn't be able to get the par value for it. But you don't have to. You can just hold on to it and wait until it matures and you get all of your money back. It was the fact that 
Silicon Valley Bank did not have that option and they had to go sell the bonds to meet, meet their uh, cash demands that caused their failure. And, and of course, because they didn't offload that risk to someone else, they just ate the whole loss and that is what caused them to spiral. And rather than allow that spiral to continue, the Fed smartly stepped in at the beginning of the spiral process to retain as many of their assets as they could so they could do exactly what they just did, which is sell them off for parts and keep all the depositors whole without spending a dime of taxpayers money they're spending they're spending silicon valley banks money <laughs> that's how they're doing it always easier when you can spend other people's money but the problem with socialism so you eventually run out with other people's money i'm simultaneously making a margaret thatcher reference and making a joke about how libertarians call everything they don't like socialism <laughs> and your exasperated face tells me that i hit the mark exactly we did you did. I'm suitably disgusted. <laughs> you know what else has disgusted me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you know where I'm going with this. I do. Yeah. Can we talk about Twitter? Andrew, I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you. Is it because of my awful Great Depression takes? Great no. uh, and uh, banking takes? That is incorrect, no. The, those takes are... are, are they're fine in their own ways. Um, what I cannot forgive you for is turning me on to Will Stencil. Stencil? I don't know how to pronounce his name. I've never tried to until now. Uh, a Twitter follow that I hooked myself into after you shared one of his his tweets with me. I don't even. I, I don't even remember this. I remember like. Somebody else sent it to me, or I saw it from someone else's feed. I didn't know who this guy was until you said this. So this guy, this guy, this guy whose tweet you sent me was was just one of those archetypal left-wing crazy takes. I think it had to do with really being upset about how the lab leak theory was being properly covered. And I was like, oh, and I started reading his feed and it's one might. It was like looking into the mouth of madness. This guy, he's got like 50,000 followers. I, I think he's uh, like a municipal policy guy in Minneapolis or something like that. He doesn't talk much about his work. It's just kind of what I drew from his bio. And he's become mildly Twitter famous for essentially being a fire hose of tweets that are batshit insane. Left wing propaganda all day, every day. And it's not like he's a uh, mark, you know, like a market made cringe lord, like Brooklyn Dad Defiant or something like that, or JoJo from Jurors, like the 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 boomer tier, like Twitter follows that are just super cringy, you know. Okay. This guy I, is. I hate that I'm following this, but okay. Yeah, you, you hate that you know exactly to like. There's the yep. Jen Rubin cringe tweet mm-hmm. crowd, you know. There's the resistance. Mm-hmm blue checkmark tweet crowd. Now this guy is drinking deep from the darkest blue waters. There are right. Like this guy does nine tweet threads uh, because he's mad that people are talking about the lab leak theory and doing so enables white right wing fascism. He's mad because people like Jesse signal are getting out a more spe- skeptical message about 
transgenderism. And that is going to cause genocide and Nazis to happen. Like he's, I, I got, I finally got blocked by him for like being sassy in a quote tweet reply about how his madness was starting to infect me. And I, I think that that was the greatest mercy ever done to me because now I'm not, I'm not, I was able to break my fever of reading his tweets thinking like, is this a robot built to be the craziest left-wing ideologue possible? Or is this a real human? And I am, I, I, whose existence I simply cannot fathom. Right. I, I, I couldn't, I was a train wreck where I was watching the bodies pile up, but I could not look away for days, weeks. I think I was, I, I followed this guy. I just, I couldn't keep up. I tried to engage with them a little bit. Not like everyone that's in his orbit is the same way. It was, it was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. And it like took me back to this recurring issue I'm having about people who act like either don't know things or actively resisting knowing things. And I just can't handle it. I would like to thank our audience for doing an admirable job of standing in for Joseph's therapist. Yeah. Uh, Thanks guys. Appreciate you. It was, you know, you know what I'm talking about though. Like it's, it's really frustrating to try to have conversations with people who don't know things now. Yeah. And the, the hook for this topic was both of us have had experiences with, People that we know in, uh, I believe it is called the meat space. Yes, the real life. Where uh, people don't, they're not the sophisticated versions that we're used to encountering on Twitter where they're like, they're actually encountering the other side and making arguments that take into account the best arguments of the other side. They're just uh, completely uninformed of the existence of any arguments against their un- incredibly narrow worldview. And They're I feel okay saying that because uh, th- when you engage with them, it becomes clear that they just, they just don't know. Yeah. I and it's hard to say that without sounding condescending. It's, I, but, I mean, I don't, I don't think that you can get away from it you know, speaking the truth here. They just don't know things. Yeah. It's going to sound condescending, but it's just also true. <laughs> you know, like it's, it, it, they feel programmed. I, I never thought I would be the guy to say something like that, but that's honestly how it felt where I didn't, you know, there was somebody in my life where I really, you know, I was close to this person. They were a good friend for many years. And I tried to have a conversation with them about, you know, things that have happened over the last two years. And it, it felt like I was speaking to someone that just got out of a brainwashing camp. You know, they just had no concept of things that went against what they were told could possibly have been true. And it wasn't things that were specific knowledge. You like pointed them to, New York Times articles like some of it was about like masking outside, which public health agencies haven't even recommended for forever. They're just like this. This person thought that the vaccine still prevented spread of COVID-19. They just didn't. They were not aware that that was 
not true. And they, they were unaware of it because the news does not talk about it anymore. There is plenty of information available to people who wish to find it that say the COVID-19 vaccine does not prevent transmission of COVID-19 in any way. But unless you want to know that, if you are just accept, if you're just listening to NPR, you won't know that, you know, you won't know that. And that was really disturbing to like have a conversation with someone who just didn't know that. Cause I'm not used to that. And I didn't know I it's, I still thinking about it. It was like a month ago, still thinking about it. There's, this might be a one study pop psychology thing, but there was a finding that's pretty famous with frequent consumers of either Fox or MSNBC know less about what the opposition believes than people who consume no news at all. I believe that. And I, I certainly don't want to let Fox news off the hook or suggest people who particularly the age 72 averaged boomer audience of Fox news is, is not essentially the opposite of what I'm just, you know, is, is the, the mere universe version of what I'm describing. Um, uh, I have, uh, I don't know if I want to say this on air, but, um, one of, one of my wife's grandparents, every time we're there, it's just some completely crazy thing. One of, uh, so you've got family members where this is the case. I take it. Yes. Uh, so uh, there are people in my family that are just, every time you're there, it's, it, it's something unhinged and i guess that's more positive knowing things that aren't true versus where we're talking about not knowing things that are true but it's very similar yeah it's close enough that i think it's just as bad you know i think and and and, and the presence of that enables the people who want to stay uninformed in a weird way because they can point to these people who believe crazy things as reason as to why counter narratives to what they believe must be false. You know, like you, you, if you, some, if someone is saying that the moon landing didn't happen or you shouldn't get a measles vaccine, uh, clearly anything similar people have to say about the efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccine can be safely ignored. This is, and that was the explicit argument was you can't talk about the lab leak because bad people were talking about the lab leak. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically, specifically that. And, but it's not just that, you know, I was talking to the same guy about trans issues. It's like, you know, it's from speaking from this, like, Oh, anyone that, that thinks that there's a problem with, you know, trans people is just a monster. And this is how we ended up in this conversation because he was essentially trying to sever contact with me over my opinion. When, and I, I walked him through like, well, okay, this is what I'm saying. This is the reason why I'm saying it. These are the things that have happened. Share this information with you. I can show you where you can look this up for yourself to, to, to demonstrate why there's an issue here and, and why it needs to be treated seriously. They had no concept of any of that. Why would they, right? Why the fuck would they? Because who in the world that they inhabit have spoken about any of this? You know, unless 
and this this actually I think is a big part of it, uh, particularly when you are a middle-aged millennial without children. How, how do you know anything about schools and what kids are going through unless you seek that information out purposefully when you don't have kids yourself? And there's a lot of millennials of my age that are in that boat, right? Like our generation is huge. Millennial generation is the biggest ever, okay? Bigger than the baby boomers because we're the baby boomers' kids. We're not, we're not going to create that many kids. It just doesn't make sense for it to happen. And we've become more urbanized, more technologically adept. We live in cities more. We're, kids are, an, uh, are no longer a necessity. They're an expensive uh, uh, extra thing you can have in your life if you choose to have them. And while there will be a large generation that the millennials make as a sheer consequence of their own size, it will not be the same, si- same way in which the boomers expanded the population all on their own, right? What that means is there's a lot of millennials who will have one or zero kids. And we've seen this play out as time went on. And I, I've, I've run the whole gambit. I've got friends in my generational cohort who are like me and, and, and don't have children and don't plan to. People who have one, folks that have two, folks that have eight. You know, I know them all. <laughs> but if you're one of those people who have no children and you're like pushing 40 like me, you don't know shit about dick when it comes to schools, school boards, teachers, any of it. No exposure. It's not part of your life literally at all. And so if you think that if, if the media just tells you what the story is, you're just going to believe it because who else are you turning to? None of your, none of the people you hang out with probably have kids. Right, no one in your social circle has kids. No one, no one in your social media uh, arenas probably have kids, because that f- folks tend to self sort in, in in their social groups. See, people with children tend to associate more with people who have children. Right, uh, it's not a coincidence that a lot of the people that we're thinking of in particular are in our lives from circa ten years ago from places where we didn't have a choice but to interact with people who didn't agree with us on everything. Uh, The Putnam bowling alone thing is if you have a bowling club and you talk like then a liberal is that guy you have occasional disagreements with, but he bowls the 280 and he's on your team. So he's all right. That's very true. We have abandoned common spaces. We've we've abandoned common pursuits, and the social media era was was speed running that, and then COVID made it ten times worse. Oh, absolutely. The all of the as an adult post school. All of the productive and thoughtful conversations I have had with people I disagree with have been as a result of magic. Because you interact with people that you don't 100% agree with. Yeah, by by necessity. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably the, the most persistent method by which I still have acquaintances and friends that I know fall outside my own political persuasion. Is that... And that is what you describe. It's a 
it's a social club slash, you know, a, a hobby pursuit that puts you in contact with people, not because of their opinions on things, but because of their similar enjoyment of something. And well, you know, that guy wanted to vote for Bernie Sanders, but he plays a, he plays a, a mean legacy Delver. So he can definitely play on my team, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you can yeah. vote for Bernie all the live long day, you know, just hold down that legacy seat <laughs> and you're good to go. And there are people who are doing their best to change that. They're, they're trying to finish the homogenization and kick people like us out. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they're looking for excuses. I'll say that. I very I tactically share my opinion with things, but I I will say though that um, uh, particularly with Zoomers, it's like they're impressed if you're willing to say something that is like not within the liberal orthodoxy. Like it's counterculture to have normal beliefs about things from their perspective. Listen, all I'm saying is. <laughs> I was sitting several tables down when I hear from where Joseph's table was approximately that direction. I hear. So what you're saying is Hitler had some good ideas. <laughs> All right. So that was a particularly fun one. Cause I, I found a group of guys and we were vibing by doing a bit about trying to be as offensive as possible about referencing Hitler in regards to magic related disputes like we all figured out what the bit we were doing were, and we were all just trying to see how close we were willing to get as we like built off each other. You know, it's like a guy thing, right? It was like the, it's like magic version of locker room behavior is like someone does it. And it's like, okay, now it's your turn. How, how close are you willing to go? Right? Well, I have no shame. I was, I'm going to win that battle 10 times out of 10. I'm willing to go way further than everyone else so far in that circumstance where I started talking about like the, the sorts of things that Hitler would do in different circumstances within a, within a, a magic meta that there were three judges watching our entirely non-game conversation waiting to see if they needed to intervene. <laughs> no one did, by the way, everyone was laughing. Everyone was having a good time. I was very careful about my word choice about things. Yeah, you have that gift in a way that I don't. I'll never forget uh, the way you said my lovely bride's eyes were bigger than my than her stomach, and we'll need to we'll need to take home box. It was like how, uh, such a simple, mundane request, but you put it like you're <laughs> stepping out off a of Shakespeare stage. It's like how do you do that? How do you do that? Listen, extroverts. You, you just. Weird. It's it you know you're good at you're good at a lot of things that I wish I was good at. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, banking tanks not aside, like you know, I wish I had half your computing power sometimes, but I guess I make up for it with a little bit of charm. But it was good. It was I, fun. Guess, I guess we'll be done now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening.